This program has references to family violence, men's violence, and violence in general. Please take care and turn off the podcast if it is triggering for you. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic and family violence counseling and support service. This podcast is recorded as part of Safer Pathways Project in Prevention of Violence Against Women, funded through the Australian Government's Department of Social Services. The views presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the funder nor of MCWH. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. I pay my respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging and I acknowledge that as migrants to this country, we benefit daily from the displacement of Aboriginal people and colonization of their land. Hello, I'm Vahide from Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, and you're listening to Making the Links, a prevention of violence against women project that aims to help migrant and refugee women living in regional areas that are experiencing or at risk of family violence and sexual assault to access support services. Why do we say migrant and refugee at MCWH? There are lots of terms that people use to talk about migrant and refugee communities. At MCWH, we use the term migrant and refugee to describe anyone living in Australia who was born overseas or whose parents or grandparents were born overseas in a predominantly non-English speaking country. We say migrant and refugee to highlight the impacts of migration and settlement process on women's health and well-being. It reminds us that the barriers we face are mostly because of systems and policies, not because of cultures or countries we come from. In this episode, I will be talking to Sammy Fogg. Sammy works at Sunraysia Mali Ethnic Communities Council and she's based in Swan Hill, Victoria. Sam is originally from Morocco and came to Australia in 2006 and she speaks Arabic, French and Italian. Sam is client services officer and has been working with women from migrant and refugee background, mainly in Swan Hill and Mildura. Today I will have a chat with Sammy about her experience working with women from migrant and refugee background in regional Victoria. Sammy, we know from the data that migrant and refugee women access family violence and sexual assault services at a very late point or at a very critical point. And in your opinion, what are some of the factors that cause this? And what are some of the specific factors maybe in regional areas? Um, look, the women, they, I think they're always, especially someone from a, you know, the cold background they're always thinking about the culture and the shame and you know so they leave it sometimes too late uh, when things get even worse and sometimes the partner think that they can't do anything you know they really manipulate them and uh, they they become I guess the partner they had clients in the past that I refer to uh, domestic violence. Uh, they said they that the partner said you are a part of my property, so you do what you told. You have no right to actually say no. Whatever I said, you do. That's it. 
you can't do it or they threaten to tell them that I'll be sending you back home. And I guess this is what actually they put up with that, you know, that violence until completely, you know, they can't cope with it. So most of the time when I pick up something that it's something going wrong, if I see that particular client a bit down, not looking really happy and we're just, you know, so are you okay, you know? And sometimes you can see they just really start crying. Plus I have a really good relationship with them. So built that relationship, you know, for many years with the clients. So that's really, it's a great to, to have that strong relationship and they you build that trust and said that, that when they trust you, they start talking about it. First thing they said, oh, is it really like what happened to my visa? Is it if I say something, is it, you know, I'm going to be sent back home and I, I have no one, whether they don't have a family or, you know, or parent passed away or it's a shame to go back and it's a failure and all that. Um, well, then we start talking about it. And I always encourage them, now you've got to talk about it. You are in Australia. So it's not like we end back home. So this is not on. So violence, it's not on. You've got to speak up for yourself. And and we talk about always about safety plan as well. Like, you know, make sure that you be very careful and all that. So we talk about safety plan, try to engage them most of the time. You know, like I said, look, I can go with you in the first interview to meet with um, domestic violence worker. You'll be okay. You'll have, you know, it's not like back home. Just to ensure that they're not really you know, they, they do make that decision and um, they get a better outcome at the end. But in regional areas, are there any other factors that will be increasing that as well? I think the um, the financial stress um, and even when COVID hit, like things even get worse, you know, like the, the women stuck with the men 24 hours 7. And that starts showing a lot of, you know, like at least when they go to work and they just come in the afternoon, at least the women, they have a break and they were able to, to, to talk and get out and, and do stuff, do some activities, you know. Uh, but during COVID, these women, they've just been with, the ma- with their partners 24 hours, seven, as I said, and that's increased, um, you know, domestic violence a lot within, you know, families. Um, and that will be just, you know, and always like, Probably I'll say about 90% of my, the client that I work with, the, the men taking control of the finance. Like even the women, they get that, that they're not in charge. So the men actually give them what, you know, even it's their own money, whether they're getting that from, you know, Centrelink. So they're not, they can't have access. So the men controlling that. So, which is, that's, that's a finance, you know, like that's controlling. So they really control either, like from any, corner to be honest um so that's that's the things and are some and, and increase in mental health as well like you know depression the women like you know they've been really given up they just can't just can't cope anymore with distress like they said well we're giving them everything uh, we we do everything i do my duty i do my um everything that my husband wants you know why he's treating me that way why he is you know and Another thing, the women, they don't trust the system. And this is a big thing as well. I mean, I had a client that, um, that she's actually um, was in a domestic violence relationship with her partner and she contacted the police. This particular client married an Aussie guy and, and, and he rang the police as well. 
and the police came in at 10 and actually removed her from the property. Even he's the one, and she said he was dragging me from my hair, dragging me outside, and she was panicking about her kids. The kids had been pulled away from her. Her partner's family, they came in when they heard that, that drama and they came in and took the kids away. So for her, she can't actually take her kids with her. So they took the kids away from her. So she was isolated by herself, um, the language barrier. The police that actually supported the husband, they didn't support her. The, the police asked her to leave the property, not the husband. And, and that, it's, it's, they lost that faith in the system. And that has to change. It's, it's not, you know, the thing is when it's too late, when someone, look how many women they get murdered a year, really, because things that doesn't, they don't act quicker enough. And, they've, and, and she said to me that her partner was on, on, on drugs. I don't know what type of drugs. And she said she was asking the police officer to go and have a look in the bedroom, like how much drugs he had. And she said, the police officer would not listen to me. He would not even listen to me. He was just trying to get me out of that property. She felt like it's, it's a it's discrimination. The police, they believe he's an Aussie guy and she is from a different background. Um, she said, and I only reacted that way because of my children. She, was, she tried to get her kids, which is everyone. I mean, every woman will do exactly the same. She said they were expecting me that I, that the family, her husband's family taking the kids and she's not going to react. She's just going to sit. She said, if I would just sit in and looking, they're going to think that, look, she's a careless mother. She said, I'll try to keep my children and uh, they end up putting me on the perpetrator. Uh, and she said, like, how can I trust the, the police? The, the sad is she actually backed the partner after a few months. And I said to her, why, why did you do that? And she, she's not happy. Like she's every day not, not happy. Even now she's not happy. And when I see her and I said, why are you back? And she said, Sammy, I don't trust the police. I don't trust the system. And I've been the, I've been the one actually being treated that way. And I've been thrown out in the street. She actually had someone, a friend of her, she kept her in the house. The police, they, they told her to contact the service obviously, and they left her there. They had the phone call, what she said to me on that night of the incident. They gave her the contact number and said, you call that number. She said, in the middle of the night, in, in, in winter time, cold, dark, upset. Imagine that person, what they're going to think of. And she said, imagine if I was not really stable in the mind, I could have just jumped in a river and I'm gone. This is really, this is a big issue. And it's not only one client said it another you know like few like or probably a lot a lot of clients said the same things they don't trust and she said I didn't want to deal with the men uh, two they send her when the incident happened um she said they sent two police officers two men she said I don't want to see any men on that time she said why can't they send for me a, a female they need to be aware about their cultural sensi sensitivity and all that stuff she said where where is the support she said Sammy it's easy to say, yeah, there is a support in place. But she said, I've been through it. I need to have more support for women from a different uh, cultural background. And I know a lot of women married Aussies are having the same things, having issues. They work the system very well. And they give these girls, they really be, you know, 
treat them that way, um, pretty much like slaves. Or they keep treating them, we're going to send you back. So th- this is the things that really, in a regional area, that's what I'm hearing all the time, which is, it's really sad to hear it. Yeah, no, you've made really, really good points. And I didn't want to interrupt you because it was just resonating with uh, me and, you know, having consultations with services and um, just listening to them. Um, So uh, that's why I didn't want to interrupt you at all, because you touched on a really good point that was a structural issue, like what the systems, the policies, where the power lies and, and all of those things that uh, I think will make a, it's really hard for a woman from a migrant or refugee background to access services. And you said, because they don't trust the service. And uh, in this specific example, uh, you mentioned the police. Do you think that the police hasn't been trained well in family violence in regional areas? Or was it just maybe this specific example? Or are you aware that there are training going on? uh, uh, Because definitely police need to be trained in family violence when they attend an incident of family violence look uh, look uh, it's, it's very hard to comment in that but from what i see i see my clients i see that the, the person that presents on the day in my office and say well this is what happened to me um and I, as i said i encourage the person always to contact the the service um obviously the service like the, the service are fantastic like they really the um they always you know support their client and all that um but the thing is whether the, the police officer being trained enough or being, uh, this is a very hard, like, you know, but for, for what I'm assuming, like for in, the, in this case scenario that I just mentioned, I don't think so. The police officer aware or even know about, about this, to be honest, because whether that person, because she's got an accent or it looks from a different background, didn't actually take any notice of her. Um, when she asked him to go and, and go inside and check, the amount of drugs they could have actually, and and how, and and then she said to me uh, later on they send the kids back home, and when the family, when the police and everything cleared up, they send the family home. How can that the police made that a big mistake? A father that is on on drugs and alcohol, and having kids under age, in the same house, you know, and if also the mother, you get the child protection involved, you or on orange or and all that stuff it's 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 not on you know like it's really it's very hard and i think the police need to they need probably my opinion they need to have a special for whatever like you know like they have to have one that being trained to be involved in this really not any any you know you probably that you're going to ring triple zero probably then they can put you through the local um police station and you can get anyone to probably just start yesterday you know no experience and based on that how the courts will you know and actually from what the first things when they do that initial interview that's that's actually can make it or break it and the victim have that trauma you know you know and 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 this is the thing like it really the, the, the probably it's a good to have more trained officers specialized for this straight away a special like you know a contact direct contact to these guys to contact the these officers to attend for like these cases rather than in a general you know uh, police station and put you with anyone that will attend and just you know no experience 
And, and, and these, these people from a cold background, they don't want to actually suffer and they don't want actually to be the victim for this. And as I said, not when it's too late until they get murdered or, you know, or something happened and then or another tragedy. Are we going to, you know, put more money on this to, to focus on that? But things need to start now. And, and they need more support, more support for these women. And they need, we need this woman to trust the system and talk and speak up to make that change, to make it happen. You know, if, if they don't trust the system, like this, this woman, she will tell other person, another person, another person, another person, and they're all we know about. No, we don't trust it. No, we don't. We, we believe you. We trust you, Sammy. Yeah. But we, I've seen my friend that, look what happened to her. And I've seen my friend, what, that, this is what happened. We are in a small community. Very small, like you just, if one person buy a new car, the whole town will know it in, in within two hours, such bought a car. They give you the number plate and the, the color or whatever. And this is the things, you know, it's a small community and it's very hard. And then need, that we need more support than other places, than a bigger place. Because here, people can't hide anywhere. I'm Vahide and I'm speaking with Sammy Fox, Client Services Officer from Sangrazia Mali Ethnic Communities Council. So you actually mentioned really uh, the barriers that women face, uh, discrimination, uh, yep. the system issues and the structural issues uh, like finances and maybe yep. you mentioned Centrelink. Do you, uh, I'm interested to know about the financial side of things. Is that a barrier for women living the relationship that uh, you know they, they are in and they are experiencing family violence? Yeah. And if yes, is the system uh, contributing to that? That's the major issue. And that's actually why the women, they're not able to leave the relationship because the first thing they're going to end up homeless, as I said, the first things we're going to go, like we know that we've got a short of um, housing and all that. And I guess that's it's all nationally, not just here. Uh, first things that's, you know, they're going to go in a safe house, whatever, for how long. And then they've got to look at source of their um, accommodation. Um, they're not, whatever they get, it's not enough for them to support them as a single mum. Also to have access to children. If the, if the, if the, if the, 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 you know, if the women left the relationship and being in a safer house or whatever, she can't have access. As I said, the case scenario I mentioned before that covered pretty much. um, She couldn't have, you can't have access to the kids because you don't have a stable house, stable accommodation. So you get to see the kids and all that. Because of the finance, um, if they have that support financially, they would not put up with that. I'm sure that all will leave. I so, said, well, I can buy my own. I can pay for my rent. I can look after my kids. I can look after myself. I can do this. I can do that financially. Because they are dependent on the men. And this is what happened. They just stuck there. They'd rather to stuck in a, in a, in a, a toxic relationship than leave it and end up in the street. Everything, the bills, you know, like they're struggling. They will be really struggling. And obviously a single mom can't work full time, especially if she's got younger kids. I mean, how can she manage between work, looking after kids, uh, doing all that duty? It's, it's a lot. It's, it's not, you know, it's a lot. It, it definitely need, they need that support. Definitely they need, to, they need to be the priority one. They need to be the one on the top of the list to have access 
you know, Office of Housing or whatever um, to, to keep them, you know, safe and they can, you know, move on and stop this, um, stop this violence. Need, need to end. It's, it's really, it's, it just seems to be increasing, increasing. And I guess, and, and the men, they're not really afraid, you know, and especially if they, you know, like they're not, they just, you know, manipulate these women and just, they, they can't do anything. They know they have no power. They're powerless in front of them. Um, when we do consultation with migrant refugee women and we talk to them, uh, we hear that, you know, services need to be more proactive in offering support to migrant and refugee women, as you were mentioning as well. And uh, I mean, by that, I mean having a holistic strength-based and trauma-informed approach and trying to be more familiar with uh, women's specific needs as an individual in their her own environment. So look at her as an individual in her own situation. And uh, we were talking about culturally appropriate service as well. You just mentioned that some services don't know how to actually provide that service. Uh, but we know that, you know, services, something that they say that we can't know about all cultures. And we understand that no one can be culturally competent. Absolutely. And yeah, and they, but sometimes services look at the checklist. I mean, what there's, they ask us for a checklist to be able to support community members. And we can't provide that because all cultures are different and people are different. Individuals are different. And it's really depend on where they are at in their life. Yeah. So what, what do you think services can, to, can do to provide a culturally appropriate service or to better support migrant and refugee women? Yeah, it's a training, it's, it's great. Yeah, we know. And I know a lot of services, they do provide training. Like this is what you hear. And especially during COVID, there was a lot of training, you know, through Zoom, whatever. Um, um, I think they need to, the services need to work very collaboratively with other ones as well. They need to work together. They need to work together and to, to assist that particular client, you know, for their needs. Um, it, it, the training, it's, you know, you do have the training, but you need more uh, practical things. You need really to to work with the service closely. And 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 I think that, that would help. And I guess, pro, and the funding as well. Like, you know, uh, you know, like if the service don't have enough funding to, to assist that particular client, so the client will miss out and, and you probably that only client you'll have there in for six months, you know, from that. And uh, yeah, and, and probably in, in a regional area need to be, you know, like a ongoing training, to be honest, just to, and, and that cultural awareness for the, for the, for the professional, for the service provider. They need to have that. Like a lot of, many times I, I deal with a client and the, you contact the service provider. So how, how's that in their culture? Like how that, you know what I mean? These things need to be, that's fine. You can answer that. But I guess the people need more training and need to put more people when on have a good experience to assist these clients. Because it's the sensitivity of, of, of the case. It's, it's, it's high. So, and that, and that will work much, much better. When someone, they are still on that, um, you know, they haven't got their permanent visa as well, can be very limited, um, very limited um, access to services. I mean, that's a really a major thing. And this is making domestic violence, you know, making the perpetrators getting really a lot of power and making them, you know, doing what they want. I mean, we, that if the partner, if the woman not, doesn't have a, you know, a permanent visa, is still on that, you know, that end of that two years, 
um, it, it, it's really hard. They can't speak up because they keep treating them. I'll send you back in the first flight. Uh, you, you know, you're not belong to here. And, you know, I'll ring the immigration. And when you send them to the service, service because of they don't have a permanent residency or they can't access that and they have to get lawyers and legal uh, matters, they can't access it. So because they are not permanent. And, well, that means they've got to put up with the put up with a partner would i think you gave a really good example because uh sometimes uh, we hear that um migrants and refugee women are called vulnerable and we always say that well migrants and refugee women are not inherently vulnerable it's the structural issues for example the visa example that you just mentioned yeah a woman from migrant and refugee background if their visa don't allow them to access family violence services then well obviously they will be vulnerable because their risk increase and they are at a very high risk of uh, being harmed or being killed you just can't i mean and you knock every door is no door oh well because of this because of her visa status because of her visa status because of yeah but she is a victim of violence you know for goodness sake that she needs support she need you know there should be a service in place particularly just helping these girls helping these guys even if you don't have a permanent visa you should can get support you should get have access to you know to the service Thank you, Sammy. Thank you so much. And my pleasure. Finally, is there anything that you would like to add? Um, yeah, as I said, education, um, more funding for this, like more projects, stuff like this. People in the metro, like if they're doing projects and stuff like that, come to the regional area, uh, you know, work here for a few months and see, if, you know, have interview with the service provider, provide training, um, you know, because you know the guys they have these experiences it's great that the trainers they need to, to to train people you know on this field to 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 handle these cases you know this is the only way that people will you know learning that's how how you learn so and um and it should be really like maybe a courtly things not just um you know Every three years, oh, there is a bucket of funding that we're going to assist in increasing more, you know, police force to be like for particular, you know, for this need a real things, need a practical things. You know, need need someone come in and do training for the service provider, uh, you know, and go to schools, go to everywhere, you know, to educate men and women. You know, this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to, solve this problem um well you know this is this is the best things yes sammy thank you thank you again i really really enjoyed our talk and my pleasure i would really like to have you in future programs as well uh because of your knowledge and experience uh thank you this was presented through making the links a prevention of violence against women project coordinated by mcwh and funded by the Australian government's Department of Social Services. People impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse can contact 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732, a 24-hour national sexual assault, domestic, family violence counselling and support service. For help in your language, contact InTouch at 1-800-755-9888 
or visit intouch.org.au. They provide legal support no matter what your visa status is. For the men's referral service, call 1-300-766-491. Lifeline telephone 131114. Service is available 24-hour day for suicide prevention and crisis support. You can also get free translation support through TIS on 131 450 and ask them to call any of these numbers for you.